Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to Technique, the podcast from createhub.com. My name is Richard Adams and in this podcast we'll be largely talking about digital art and practice. Almost every industry and every pastime that you can think of has been affected by digital technology. Uh, I think it's fairly um, well-worn cliche to say that what's going on out there is a transformation at least as big as, if not bigger than, the Renaissance and the Industrial Revolution. In terms of art, though, of course, you know, using computers isn't actually a new thing. Um, It's been around since the 1960s. Um, People have made various computerised automata, uh, machines that can draw, uh, 3D sketchbooks, a a whole vast sort of range of of things. But it's only now, as we approach, you know, the third decade of the 21st century, that we are seeing technology that is ubiquitous, cheap, and actually easily accessible, yet at the same time offering much more complexity and many, many more opportunities to do new things. So what is it that marks out the new sort of art, the new practice of art in this embedded, connected, digital era? Of course, there's no simple answer to that. Um, You know, as with any traditional art, of course, there are one billion opinions and one billion arguments and eventually something hits the zeitgeist and it becomes important and it becomes recognised as art and aesthetic emerges and we tend to sort of hitch our baskets to that and ride along with it. But in discussing this, what we're opening up is a whole new range of things that we haven't seen or had for several hundred years. We're now in an era where the scientists, the technologists, the data analysts, Uh, the writer, and, of course, the traditional artist can all be said to be making art using computers. And the lines between them, more importantly, are increasingly blurred. At the Technique event in August at Google Campus, you can find out the details of that at technique.create-hub.com. And I'll give that out again towards the end. You can, you'll find four of us talking about these issues. Now, we know that there are many, many digital arts courses out there. There are many artists who are now working in this field. But I think for people who've been through traditional art schools, the, the picture has never seemed so fragmented and so open. There was a very clear picture and method of training to be an artist up until very recently. And of course, moving ahead into the world of automation, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, big data, biotech, the very notion of what it is to be an artist actually is open to question. The reality is that an artist, more or less, can come from anywhere now. Technology is cheap, it's ubiquitous, it's connected, it's smart. Um, There are many smart people out there you can collaborate with to make amazingly new things. 
But nothing that's come out of it yet seems to clearly define an aesthetic. And nothing that's come out of it yet seems to be a clear movement. It's almost as if the digital technology has created digital versions of existing movements and created a huge number of new movements. I'm thinking, for instance, in the movement around data and around playable cities, into the world of automation, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, big data, biotech. The very notion of what it is to be an artist actually is open to question. There are many, many issues around art, and I think once you sort of dig into the notion of digital art, there are all sorts of new things unfurling before us as we speak. The notion of skills. What skills does an artist need to survive now? What skills will they need in 20 years' time? Will they need to be a coder? There's a big push out there to be programming literate. Or should they be a computer scientist or just computer science aware? Should they be a philosopher? In the age of smart machines and automation, should an artist concentrate purely on the philosophy? Or should they become a new form of artisan, linking and building art from disparate pieces that exist across a connected landscape and have zillions of touch points uh, with human beings? And that notion of the role of, uh, of what the artist should be is an interesting one. Um, certainly the 20th century has seen the artist as, you know, almost mad genius, you know, going back, right back to the 19th century with Van Gogh and moving forwards, you know, through Picasso, etc. But is the artist's role now becoming much more of a conductor? If I want to make art that's coding, 20 years ago when... Um, most of us started on this route. We had to learn to code, but now there are so many coders around, there are machines that can code for you. Do we really need to code? Or do we just need to be able to understand the language, the intention, and the capabilities of code? The logic, if you like. And of course, the really interesting thing is, if you're talking to people who are now just entering the art business, going through college, you know, and are younger than that, people who are choosing subjects at school, you know, the changes in school curriculum are to some extent sidelining the arts. So what skills should someone have to be an artist? We know that art can be made by anyone. It isn't difficult to pick up a smartphone, point it and take a photograph manipulate that photograph and post it and for someone to produce actually what's really, really very good image. The age-old question pops up, is it art or is it just nice, illustrative, decorative work? The age-old question can never be answered about what is art, but there is a broad consensus, I think, out there that art should have the potential to move you or to explore something in real depth or to... Uh, understand and communicate through its own language. If you're doing something using democratic technology, that is just nice to look at. Is that art? In the newer art forms that are emerging, such as data visualisation, there's a lot of talk about them being art. But are they actually art, or are they, again, just pretty? 
There's an awful lot of data visualizations about the movements of airlines, um, uh, you know, the speed of things happening across the globe. And all of these things, when you watch them, you can become entranced by them, but ultimately maybe not quite moved by them. So what in, for instance, data visualization can move you? Is it art? If it doesn't move you, is it just pretty? And that's not to decry the work. The work is often very, very beautiful. Is beauty enough? Are we heading into a new era of classicism where actually beauty really, really is the aim of what we are doing? Are we finally moving away from the 20th century hegemony of having to explore the language? I think the thing is that no one yet knows what digital art actually is. To me, we don't seem to have a language or any ability to describe it. For most people, it doesn't impact them emotionally, yet at the same time, they feel it's very pretty or interesting when they click and press and something happens. And that notion of language is really, really important. How do we describe something that is ultimately, partially at least, based on something so alien as computer science? Will we ever have the language, the words, to describe something that is produced in an utterly alien language or in an alien way? And how, ultimately, will we ever describe anything that is produced by machine? Will smart machines produce art for themselves? Or will they just produce things that they think we want? We talked to a couple of digital artists, and in particular these are digital artists who've actually seen the whole digital art scene evolve over the years. Um, the first one is Deborah Davis, who is a trained fine artist, but who worked in television for a while and is now working full-time as an artist again. Her work has covered the whole range of things from wearables through smart tech, and she's now making almost monumental interactive uh, sculptures using digital technology, RFID readers, etc. Her work has been exhibited at Burning Man and is currently, at the time of uh, recording, in the Reno City Art Fair in, in the US. Um, she can be found, by the way, at ddavis.me. The other person we've talked to is Fidian Warman. Fidian is a product of the, for those of you who know it, the old digital arts course at Middlesex University uh, from the late 80s, early 90s. And Fidian started in the early 90s um, in that department and has been working consistently at the cutting edge of creative interactive work ever since. Um, he has an agency called Soda, and I think it's soda.co.uk, and you can look him up there. The range of his stuff is quite astonishing. So a big question is, is the new tech that we've got coming through democratic? Is this a new idea? How's it affecting practice? Well, I mean, I, I think there are two main ways it's affected artist practice. One is in terms of giving people the tools, the, the medium to work with uh, in, in the form of accessible, cheap, easy to use digital technologies. And I think the other 
key area is the subject matter as as digital computers permeate so many aspects of our lives you know so much of our communication working lives whatever it is love lives is is mediated by digital technology it's a very um sort of rich theme of of um opens up a rich theme of creative uh, ideas yes i think it is much easier for people to produce work that five years ago was stunning the art world like technology became accessible to people I, I was at art college over 25 years ago and i remember the fine art students not being taught how to um draw figures figurative work they weren't taught you, you know there was there was no life model classes um the the artists of my day when i was at college you know you had artists like damien hurst sticking sharks in formaldehyde and that was fine art so I think this argument started long ago and people seem to think that people seem to think that it's technology that's changed. I think it came way before then that people stopped learning a craft. And I think with technology, I think a lot of artists look at the tech can, some of them can, or the danger is that you can look at the technology and go, oh, my goodness me, that does this, that and the other. Let me make something around that rather than. This is what I want to make. Are there any tools out there that can help me achieve this? Oh, my God. Yes, maybe electronics can do that. Another issue we need to think about is the whole notion of skills. We've got, as with other industries, massive disruption. So what are the skills that people will need? How will the role of the artist develop? And, you know, what might an artist look like in 25 years? What might their skill set at school need to be if they intend to pursue a career as an artist later and so on. I think I think the role of artists will be much more broadly defined than it is at the moment. I mean I've I've worked with hardware software engineers who have every bit as many ideas as I have, but because they're an engineer, they can't be an artist. You know and because they didn't go to art college, I can't. So I just I just been working with my lead build guy was a guy called Dan Bates, and he um, we had a conversation once. He's he's a carpenter. He was also trained under a stonemason. He knows about electronics. Like he covers a broad spectrum. I don't think I've ever really worked with anybody that is as skilled in so many disciplines that he is. And and I looked at him and I said, I don't know why you don't make your own stuff. You're like you're an artist. And he kind of went. Well, am I? And I was thinking, I can't even believe you're questioning whether you are or not. And then, you know, you get I've got into lots of conversations with people who've got the same skills as him who just say, oh, well, I never went to art college. That seems to be the stock answer. I think in, in many ways, traditional craft skills might well find them, you know, find a bit of resurgence and um I'd, personally, with my work, I'm increasingly interested in combining those sort of traditional skills and ceramics and green woodwork and that kind of thing with technology. And I'd, I think there is a, a hankering amongst people to kind of go back to something a bit more naturalistic. Um, but I think that can be very powerfully contrasted with digital technologies or mediated by them in some way. Um, I also think in terms of you mentioned skills that 
in the early days of uh, being an artist working with digital technology, you really had to, to know how to code or to have a really fundamental understanding of the technology. But it's getting easier and easier to produce, you know, there are visual programming systems, um, more and more uh software systems are writing code and I think in 20 years time it will be fairly trivial for any kind of lay person to design their own software systems and get computers to behave in a way that they want them to without having to write lines of code. We know from talking to a lot of people that collaboration is increasingly a big thing. Uh, gone are the days when an artist could retire to an attic and just paint canvases. When you're working with large-scale blockchain, artificial intelligence, uh, setups, robotic setups, and large monumental sculptures, you need to collaborate. So how do the artists view collaboration? For me, I still collaborate, mm. and I have to collaborate with hardware and software engineers because I don't have – I have a certain amount of skills, but I certainly don't have the skills to do what I envision. I can't – I can't do that level of programming. So for me personally, I still have to collaborate with people who have that skill set. Um, and I probably always will if I keep trying to do the stuff that I'm doing currently. Um, yes, I do think that, you know, because electronics are are so much cheaper now, and because there is so much more information where people can self-learn. Um, yes, I think it is much easier for people to produce work that five years ago was stunning the art world. If you understand the logic, the way that computers operate, uh, there's so much you can do in terms of working with them uh, above and beyond coding. You know, just I, I, I think... I mean, I, I do a bit of coding now, but if it's anything really complicated, then I have other people do the coding. But I understand enough to be able to conceive the creative ideas to mediate between what a client wants and uh, what a coder can produce. Um, so I think it's really important to have that uh, high level and possibly quite broad understanding of what computers can do. And, and indeed, increasingly these days, um, physical manifestations of computing as well. So mm. stuff like 3D printers or CNC machines or things you can do with electronics and microcontrollers. Um, and, I, and I think that blurring of digital and physical is, is a really fascinating domain. Another thing, of course, about digital art is we don't know what the aesthetics are. It was relatively easy to categorise and catalogue cubism, modernism, and so on. But we just don't know what the aesthetic of the machine is at this point in time. Is it a new classicism? Is it prettiness? Is it something to do with the alien nature of the machines? How do things like emergent aesthetics, like... Um, data visualisation come across? Are they just pretty? Are they impactful? And what are people doing with these sorts of things to help define these new aesthetics? There's a guy called Phil Archer who... Um, <laughs> his piece is in, the name of his piece is incredibly long and I can't remember it. I can look it up very quickly. 
Phil Archer basically took a data set of um, eclipses, solar eclipses data from NASA and made a sculpture that basically um, out of um, UV light sensitive paint and a UV light torch that drew the eclipse across a of a, on a canvas that then disappeared, uh, ready for the next bit of data to be fed through to it. And I, the only time I left sitting in front of that sculpture was when somebody told me that he was actually, the artist was actually sitting in the kitchen. And I'd actually sat in front of it for four hours because it had such an effect on me. And yeah, so yeah, I definitely have come across data visualization art that uses technology. But a lot of the computer generated stuff leaves me cold now because mm. I actually think there are people who have done it so well now that you can't, I, I hate looking at it now because I go, oh, well, somebody else did that and they kind of did it a bit better. In a way, it's it's that thing of abstract represent, representations of data, unless they really mean stuff to you, uh, are, are, th th it's it's hard for them to have any real emotional impact, I think, and that you know that kind of data is beautiful movement yeah. and um, the, the the data viz the 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 way of of uh, making data more understandable to an extent almost sort of anaesthetizes the the meaning behind that data. I think, and in it, it kind of hides the individual stories and the uh, the human stories behind that data. Um, it, it's sort of paradoxical, I think. And I think some of the stuff, again, which is most interesting, is this is is the work that are is is head on addressing, you know, data privacy or um, the power of blockchain or or those kind of issues. The more political works, I find. Um, more engaging at the moment rather than the the, the pretty stuff yeah um i'm not sure i mean i think there are instances of digital art which which do hit me in the stomach and another area of digital art which i find really powerful is the stuff with a an intellectual and political rigor to examine the effects of technology on our on our world and i think at its best it can be very uh, insightful and and often really quite chilling um you know i think of uh, for instance some of the work that's going around blockchain at the moment and um the potential for that and and another thing that I kind of think is really exciting is when digital artists get a handle on technologies that are breaking and in a way help to try and shape the way that they are accepted by society or used by society. I think that's an incredibly powerful role for an artist to have in, in a digital world. There's a number of different aesthetics kind of jockeying for prominence and and possibly it's going to be a synthesis of all of them and i think one of the aesthetics which is really interesting is that kind of retro sci-fi aesthetic whereby because we're looking at stuff which possibly hasn't been invented yet or we're just conceiving our only points of reference are often sci-fi movies um 
uh, or books or you know graphic novels whatever it is often those are our points of reference so those become you know art becomes reality life imitates art um then there's this the stuff which is could only really be made by uh, a computer and the notion of kind of glitch art and and uh retro 8-bit graphics and those those kind of very deliberately um lo-fi computery representations of things i think are another way of of, of trying to encapsulate the aesthetic of of a, a digital movement and i i think the other the other thing that is beginning to characterize it is possibly the the way that industrial design and web design and commercial design is um, really in our faces so much more than it used to be as part of the things that we use and look at every day. So that is also shaping that aesthetic. I also wondered a little bit about the context of art and how that is changing. A lot of my own personal contemporaries at college became you know, full-time working artists, um, but they operated through a dealer network and they operated through, you know, a very, very traditionally set-up industry. And also, they operated within a society that had effectively just been developing in the same way for 200 years. But any futurologist will now tell you that we are in a, entering an era of seismic change. So, you know, I wondered what that context actually is. Everything relies on context to give it meaning. It's not just the thing, is it? It's where that thing is placed. It's who are the people who look at it. It's Art isn't just, oh, well, I've made a piece of art. Art is everything to do with the institution that it's shown in as much as all the time in history that it was made. What I think I'm trying to tap into with my artwork mm. is that we now live in an age where we are used to having some kind of um, autonomy or authority over our pieces, over our equipment. Like, I can configure my smartphone the way that I want to configure it. I can do that with my computer. I can live in a smart home and decide when I want the lights to come on and go off and the curtains to close and whatever else. So we, we as consumers are now used to clicking a button or giving a command and something responding in in respect to us wanting it to. And that's very much what my art is. You know, you walk up to my sculpture and my sculpture does look beautiful. It has some kind of effect on people just by the mere fact that they see it. Then I give them something and say, run that over the RFID reader and you will affect change in my sculpture. And they do that. And it's at that point that you can see people going, oh, my goodness me, my actions have made that thing in front of me that I have no relationship with until 30 seconds ago do something. I have some power here or I have the ability to bring about change in that person's work or not bring about change if I decide that I don't want to go along with what she's just asked me to do. And then after it's triggered something in the in the sculpture, there is a lasting effect of their action because they have in that 
with their very action, changed my sculpture very, very slightly. And if enough people come up and do what that person's just done, my whole sculpture will change over a period of time. And I really like the idea that I make something, but then you can come along and you can actually make it very different. And I have no say in that at all as an artist. Uh, giving, uh, allow, you know, in a way that, you know, that thing of the computer and the screen disappearing um, and us interacting with all the objects around us. So we become immersed in, in this kind of alternate reality, really, in a, in a, you know, this Internet of Things or ubiquitous computing, as it, as it used to be called, mm-hmm. um, be- becomes a way, in, in a way, uh, affecting all these areas of our life, you know, from the cars that we drive, the appliances in our homes, um, smart cities, monitoring through CCTV cameras, the way that our, our non-deliberate uh, interactions with computers become... Uh, more and more important to our everyday, you know, it becomes more, we, we, whether we like it or not, we're, we're immersed in these things. I think you will have people who are participants in art rather than spectators. Um, And that whole notion of participating rather than consuming for me has definitely been born out of um, Burning Man and the way that they're pushing art, you know, there there are no attendees of Burning Man. There are only participants. And the art that they select for that or the art that they encourage people to make is very, very much in line with that notion. Like, I like producing art where the person who's looking at it, if they want to, can take responsibility for how it looks at the end of the evening or the end of the week. There's no imperative that they do, because hopefully I've built something that still looks beautiful, even if they can't be bothered with it. And the final thing, and a subject that's close to my heart that I was also thinking about is, what skills will artists need? It's all very well to produce national curricula that emphasise science and technology. We know science and technology and maths are crucial to the future. But actually, what about creativity? If you are training a generation of people to just code and to understand maths and to deal with machines, what happens in 20 years' time to those people when the machines can do the coding themselves? And similarly, within the art world, you know, what are the skills that we think people will need going ahead? I, I think that the first skill I think that artists will need to learn is skills better skills in communication and better respect for other people in different disciplines um a broader education in metalwork woodwork coding hardware electronics psychology um because if the future of art incorporates all that then they're either going to have to learn those skills themselves or they're going to have to collaborate with people that have that skill set I work out of London Fab Lab um, some of the time. And there is um, there's a guy there that's made a um, a bike stand. And he's making it as part of his um, part of his degree It goes towards his degree. 
And I said, oh, my God, like, what what course are you doing? And he said, physics. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah, no, it can it can go towards my physics degree. And I'm not quite sure how he's going to work that in, but I should imagine that on some level he's going to be talking about the materials he used and why he chose those materials over and above other materials and what the scientific and physical limitations there were that were put on him to produce that piece of work. But had he said, oh, I'm doing an engineering degree or I'm doing a degree in design, I would have gone, yeah, of course you are. So I think it's already happening. I mean, if, if he he is the only example that I have, I think, and I'd like to think of a of a kind of almost kind of cyborg relationship with with artificial intelligences and um, creative tools. I, I think you know, obviously, lots of people have created software which will compose music or make. You know, Harold Cohen was making works well-known works that uh you that uh created paintings many many years ago um in in many ways i still think that true creativity will be one of the last bastions of human uh endeavor which isn't replicable by a by a machine so i'd like to thank both my artists debbie davis and fidian warman and I'd like to thank you for listening. Tune in to the next podcast. If you want to contact me, I'm available on Twitter. My handle is at Dickie Adams. Dickie Adams with a Y. Or you can contact us through Create Hub. That's create-hub.com. Bye. Next time on Technique. Like, right, Seb, next year you're going to get a small team to put this game together and start building this game. Three people, and you're going to have four weeks. Do something. Sam Fry on gaming with Sumo Digital, Other Ocean, and Upstream Arcade. Design thinking has exploded into the workplace of the 21st century, putting humans at the heart of design. Or does it? Isn't it just the post-it note workshops? More importantly though, where did it come from? How did it become such a massive industry? And where on earth is it going? Is design thinking what is taught in design schools? And can it be used as a philosophy for the future? Find out more as we, Richard Adams and Sam Fry, explore these ideas with experts in the field on our first Technique mini-series about design thinking. Subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode.